Thank you, thank you. How we doing? We good? Woo! Thank you, worship team. Can we give it up for them? Isn't that amazing? Man, man, oh man, oh man. I love worshiping Jesus. We have a new album coming out in uh, April 22nd. I, I didn't plan to say that. I just thought about that. I'm excited about that. April 22nd, Catch the Fire Music has a new album coming out. It's uh, kind of we redid a bunch of old Vineyard songs at our last conference, songs that really were such a picture of what God did in 94, the revival in Toronto, and what this movement was birthed out of. And it is awesome. I say that, you know, Jane Tiller, one of the worship leaders this morning, Jane's on it, Jane Giveaway. Myself, I had the privilege of being on it, and some, of, some other amazing worship leaders that y'all need to know and need to hear. So anyways, it's a total side note, but it's going to be awesome. So please, please make sure you check it out. Whew. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to carry on our, our sermon series, just the beginning. I love kind of the imagery that that implies that our God is a God that he can turn things around in the final hour, right? Our God is a God who, when all hope seems lost, when, when he died on that cross and he went in the grave, it was like, no, that was just the start. <laughs> and um, we know he's really good at making, making mountains move, making streams in the desert, making good things happen. Amen? I think I joked to the first service, but I felt like the wound was a little fresh. But if the Lord was running the UNC game, he would have turned it around. <laughs> Lord, help us. That was, that was tragic. Well, today, today is a special day. Today is Palm Sunday. And couldn't be more thrilled as we go into this Easter season, as we're in this series. And we are actually going to look at that glorious day, the, the arrival of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, knowing what was set before him. Before we get there, it's, it, we're going to open, actually, it's going to be our opening text, Luke chapter 19. But before we jump into that scripture, let's just pray. <sighs> Jesus, <laughs> beautiful Jesus. I've just constantly all today and especially through that worship set been aware of our need for you, Jesus. Even in pre-service prayer this morning, we were just saying, Lord, we can have a great worship set. We can have chosen some great songs. We can hopefully have a great message this morning, but without you, it's nothing. The labor is labor in vain unless the Lord builds the house. So, Lord, would you come this morning? Would you speak to us? Would you open your ears? Would we not just be bystanders, but would we be hearers and doers of the word? Lord, would you just come and fill us? I pray right now that every single person in this room, that we would be filled with the knowledge and wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would remove the obstacles in our lives and you would come and you would speak to us and be with us clearly. And anything that's in, in, in your way, Lord, would you reveal it to us? Would you show us? So Jesus, it really is all about you. We give you our agendas, we give you our time, we give you our plans. Would you come and have your way this morning? Jesus' name. Whew. Amen. Well, we're going to look at this, this chapter, this arrival of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, okay? 
Luke chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 28. Leading up to this moment, Jesus has, has been sharing the parable of the talents. And it's time for him to come into the city of Jerusalem. And this is what happens. If you have your Bibles with me, please turn there. Verse 28. When, he, when Jesus had said this, when he shared those, that parable of the talents, he went on ahead up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt, a donkey tied on which no one ever has sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, who were sent, went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and set Jesus on it. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Imagine this. Imagine, like, every time we read scripture, we're reading it like it's the first time, right? Picture this moment as they rejoice and they say this. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in the midst of this, this, this triumph of Christ, of Christ coming into the city, of Christ coming down this hill, the Pharisees, they call out from the crowd and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I love this picture of our, of our Savior coming into the city knowing full well what was before him. Knowing full well the following week that he was about to endure the cross for the joy set before him as Hebrews 12, 12 2 says. And he was about to endure that, that pain, taking on the sin of the world, going to the cross, going to the grave. And we know that, that not all of that was easy, right? Jesus had that moment where he's like, if it be your will, Lord, take this cup from me. Like it was, he endured this on our behalf for us. That's the kind of good God he is. And so he enters this city and he enters the city being a wanted man. You know, in John chapter 11, verse 53 through 57, it says this, they, the Pharisees, they plotted to put Jesus to death. And therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. He stopped walking openly among them. But he went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, saying, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. You know, despite this threat, despite knowing full well what was coming, Jesus entered the city in the most public way. 
Because this was the time. This was the age of fulfillment. This was what the prophets of old had spoken of. Jesus was coming into the city, coming during the season of Passover, being with his disciples, laying down coats, laying down palm branches, praising his name, knowing full well what was to come. Of the accusations that were made against him. Of the wrong things that people thought of him. Of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders thought of him. And he enters this city, right, as a wanted man. And I just love this picture of our king that he came on a humble donkey, everybody. He wasn't the rich ruler in a chariot. He wasn't this conqueror, this king coming to conquer, sitting on a warhouse, which might have been more of a common sight for a king when they would conquer a lamb, when they would do some sort of great exploit, enter the city, they would have their procession, their audience come along with them, sing songs of praise throughout the city. They would parade the king through the city and sing and hold the signs in his glory and his honor. And the king would go to the nearest temple, the most esteemed temple, and offer sacrifices to the gods in that city to align himself with that esteem. But that's not our king. That's not our Jesus. He takes these, these common ways, these common forms, these what would have been somewhat understandable to people, and he turns it upside down, and he comes with his motley crew of disciples, singing and praising on the, on the back of a donkey, And I love that picture, a donkey that's never been sat on before, which I think is such a picture of undivided loyalty that we're called to have to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come on this donkey simply because he's tired, he's weary. He just walked from Bethany. He could have walked a little bit longer. But he came to fulfill the words of the prophet Zechariah in the book of Zechariah. In chapter 9, verse 8, says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation, praise the Lord, is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Aren't you so glad we serve a kind and loving God who doesn't treat us as we deserve? Whose arrival into this city for all of us who are in need of a savior is the greatest day because it's like he was about to do everything for us. He was about to pay everything on our behalf and his life would become our life. And it's his kindness that leads man to repentance as his word says. It's not, it's not him coming again on this war horse, on this chariot coming to domineer the land. He came as the servant of the world. In this moment in time, come on, this story of Palm Sunday, it's often described as the triumph of Christ. And it is a triumph, but it's a triumph of the mercy over judgment. It's a triumph of servant-hearted love over serving ourselves. It's a triumph of grace over rage and malice and meekness over worldly grandeur. This is our savior whom we serve. Of living for others, not building empires. And we're gonna fast forward. I want us to look at another picture of another crowd 
facing Jesus. We're going we're gonna to fast forward to Luke chapter 23. And along this way, from all the way from Luke 19 to Luke 23, Jesus has done incredible things. He's faced incredible trials. He shared many more parables and proclamations and stories. He shared the Last Supper with his disciples. He's shown them the ways of communion as Asha brilliantly showed us last week, breaking the way for breaking the bread like his body was broken for us. He's been brought before the Sanhedrin and judged and mocked and beaten and denied by Peter. And finally, there's this moment where the religious leaders, they take him before the Roman governor of the province of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And if you look at secular history, Pontius Pilate was known to be a ruthless man, to not be very forgiving. And you see, we're going we're to pick it up in a moment, but the religious leaders, the Jews, they weren't allowed to execute a criminal. The, the governing uh, like people of Rome, empire of Rome, wouldn't allow it. And so they're bringing Jesus to this, this Ruth, well-known, ruthless man over their province, expecting what? Expecting the outcome they're looking for, his death, his crucifixion. So we're going to pick up this story, verse, verse 13 of chapter 23. Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one man to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, picture this angry crowd, saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Not a great dude. Verse 20. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then he said to them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him, and I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he be released to them, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will to be crucified. You see this ruthless man, and honestly this picture of Barabbas, which I think signifies very much you and I. This, this early foreshadowing of what was about to take place, that the condemned were set free and the guilty was brought to death. And this is the arrival of our king. And I just want to take a moment and contrast these crowds. One that is celebrating and cheering and welcoming Jesus. And one that is jeering 
and mocking and saying, crucify him. I have no doubt that there are men in this crowd accusing Jesus, wanting to see this man condemned that, that know of Jesus' miracles, that know of Jesus' works. Maybe they have a friend of a friend or a cousin or somebody who was touched, who was healed, who had encountered the Savior Jesus, the servant of all. But now standing before them, Jesus was not a pretty sight probably at this point. In fact, humble as it was, the imagery of Jesus on the colt on a donkey would have been a beautiful sight compared to with what Jesus would have looked like in this moment. Most likely sleep deprived, dirty, beaten, tired, bruised. And he's supposed to be their savior, their king. Crucify him, crucify him. I wonder if some of those men were even the same people that cheered him when he came in. But now seeing him, seeing the popular opinion of the crowd, we're rejecting him. And I want to ask us this morning, is it possible to celebrate Jesus in one moment and miss him in the next because it's not like he doesn't look like we thought he would? Is it possible to ask the Lord to fulfill a promise in our life and he does, but it's not quite the outcome we were, we were hoping for. So we're unhappy and we miss it. You know, both crowds wanted a Messiah. Both crowds wanted a Savior. Both crowds had most likely heard the stories in the temple, the, the words of the prophets of the coming of a Messiah but both of them had very different expectations of what that Jesus, that Savior, would look like. You know, the Israelites were notorious for seeing the Lord move in their lives and then being quick to forget all that he'd done for them. You know, picture this, you know, you're enslaved in Egypt. Your children are, are murdered you're doing heavy labor all the days of your life. Your life is miserable. And the Lord saves you from this group, from this, the power of the Egyptians and their oppression. And the Lord, through plagues and through, through many things, he, he makes a way for you to leave that oppression. Your oppressors, your accusers, come through the Red Sea that's parted before you and watch it crash in on your enemies. What a sight. What an experience. But the Israelites, how quickly did they grumble? How quickly did they, they say, the Lord, you just brought us out here to kill us. It's like, did you miss something? Because when I read these stories, I'm like, it's a sign and a wonder. I will never forget. Like all that the Lord has done for us. If I, I would like to think that if I was there. But it's so easy for the condition of our flesh, the condition of our hearts, that when we face adversity, when we face trials, it's like we forgot everything that God just did for us. When Jesus doesn't look like we hoped he would look like, or doesn't fulfill a promise the way we hoped he would fulfill a promise, we're unhappy. And we have the choice to be like one of those two crowds to celebrate the arrival in, of Jesus in our lives no matter what it looks like or to reject him because he's the son of suffering. And because sometimes the call of the gospel is not just victory but it's to be wronged on his behalf.
And so this, what will we be? <laughs> Which crowd will we be? <clears throat> I want to say that this morning I feel this call that we are called to cling onto the promise of Jesus. That we are called to hold on to hope. That the very nature of the believer is to believe in his faithfulness, in his goodness. That it's like he can make a way where there are no ways. That he can make streams in the desert. He can move mountains. He can bring miracles. And even if, like he's still God. Because to get Jesus is to win everything. And so this morning I felt challenged as I was looking at these stories. As I was thinking of this triumph of Christ that we are called to cling onto the promises of our God. And I just want to take a moment and I want to pull out some things that I believe can help us cling onto his promises and cling onto him. <laughs> Psalms 119 verse 89 through 90 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, everybody? How do we hold tight to the confession of our hope without wavering, as Hebrews 10 says? The first thing I want to propose this morning is that we need to remain open-handed with the Lord. That we don't want to fall into the snare of those crowds, on one hand, both wanting a Messiah, but trying to get God to fit into our box rather than submitting to his box. He's not a God that can fit into our mold it's like he is his own mold he is the mold and it's like his plans his promises his fulfillments they might at times look a little different than ours but how many know he's got good things for us in store he's got a hope and a future he's got a joy filled life that's what I believe he's not going to leave us high and dry he's good and so Jesus, as he arrives in the city in Luke chapter 19, he looks over Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And he says this in verse 41 through 44. It says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, which happens, the siege of, of the Roman Empire, if you look at history. And it says this, because you did not know the time of your visitation. What was the condition? What was their wrong? It's there in that last phrase. They did not know the time of their visitation. They were blinded. Jesus didn't, this Savior, this Messiah didn't fit their paradigm. The one crowd fully expected Jesus to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and once again reestablish the governance of the Jews. And yet this man comes before them claiming to be the Messiah, healing all kinds of people and diseases and raising people back to life. And he spends time with the broken. He spends time with the sinner and the tax collector and the prostitutes. And even, even the disciples, after Jesus goes to the cross, after he defeats death, 
they're like, is this now the time you're going to do it? You're going to reestablish the rule and reign of, of Jerusalem and the nations? And he's like, that, you're missing it, guys. He's like, actually, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you with power, and you'll be my witnesses. So I want to say this morning, can we remain open-handed before the Lord and receive not just the king of victory and of promise and gives life, but receive the son of suffering? I mean, suffering is an uncomfortable topic sometimes in church, but it is a part of scripture to suffer for him. Can we not be, not be stubborn or living in our pride and just seeing the hand of God simply, trying to see the hand of God simply the way we want to see the hand of God and actually be like, actually say the prayer, Lord, would you help me to be, to see you in my life? Would you help me to see the way that you're working in my life? Would you help me to see your hand in my life? Lord, the truth is, and maybe you've got to pray this prayer, the truth is right now in my life, I am struggling to see you help. I know you're working. I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I cling to those promises, to that truth. You are my rock. But would you help show me? Would you help reveal to me where you've been making a way for me? And our second point leads us to that Gratitude, remembrance. In the good times, in the bad times, it's like perspective changes everything. It's a little cheesy, but I said, you know, we, we talk about checking our privilege. It's like sometimes we have to check our blessing. I know it's cheesy. But it's like we literally have to take a moment and we have to be like, you know what? Lord, I need to remind myself of all you've done for me. And the Israelites, they were encouraged to tell the stories to, your, to the generations, to set up these altars, to set up these tributes to the Lord, and to, to show the next generation, to tell them of all that God had done, to not let it be forgotten. And it's so easy for us, I'm speaking to myself, it's so easy to go through adversity, to go through trials and be like, Lord, where are you? I'm miserable. Life sucks right now. And the Lord's not afraid of that internal dialogue. Like, he can handle it, so don't worry. You know, during, during the early days of the pandemic, as, as many businesses and churches and people were affected, we were a part of that. And we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, how we were going we were gonna to respond. We didn't know the level of like how deadly this thing was, we didn't know anything, right? Y'all remember those first couple weeks? It was like, man. And it's like you were just trying to be wise. You're trying to be good stewards. And Murray and Ash being great stewards and great pastors, they said to us in a, in a team meeting in the early days, before anything had happened, any lockdowns, they were like, guys, we should just begin to think about what would we do if we had to go into lockdown? There's this thing happening and we were like, that'll never happen. What a waste of time. <laughs> I'm sorry, Murray. I'm sorry, Ash. <laughs> Why'd you bring us here today, this meeting? And sure enough, we're like, it happens. We're like setting up studios in home. We're like running to the church, getting all the gear, setting tripods up, like trying to figure out a way to still to be the body of Christ, to find ways to connect people to one another, all of it, right? 
And I remember in those early days, it was like we were all working super hard, as I'm sure many of you were in your jobs. And particularly myself, after 14 days, including the weekends of working 12-hour days, I called Marie up and I said, I just, I need a day off. I need to take tomorrow off. And he's like, absolutely, take it off. And I, in kind of this season, in the swirl, in sometimes the challenges that many of us faced, the Lord for about a year, I mean, I'll walk with this the rest of my life, but the Lord began to encourage me, Aaron, you need to begin to like remember the things I've done for you and take a position of gratitude. And so I actively started feasting on the testimonies of what God had done in my life and in our lives, in this church's life, in y'all's life, because we're one body. And so I started reminding myself of testimonies here at this church, of testimony in your lives, of testimonies in my, my life, of where, the God is, where God has carried me up until this point, because our life's a miracle. We have survived famine and plague and wars. You name it. The fact that you're alive today is a miracle. And so it was this glorious, I just began to feast on, on like thankfulness. And it instantly was like the highway to his face, to just like beholding him and worshiping him. And in the moments I would feel down, I would feel adversity, I would feel the challenge, the squeeze that we all felt. It was like, I'll remember God of what you did, what you did at this moment and this moment and this moment. And all of a sudden, before you knew it, my heart was singing. And it's like David in the Psalms, right? I mean, agonizing over his pain, agonizing poetically over how horrible his life is. But then it comes back to your, you, Lord, are my right hand, my rock, my salvation, right? It's like all of a sudden this remembrance of who God is and what he's done. And the last thing I want to challenge us on is when we've done all we can to stand, to stand still still stand. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. I love this story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where David and his mighty men are out and they're, they leave their family. They go off to some, I don't even remember right now, but they went off, I think, to war against the Philistines, if I'm remembering correctly. And they left their, their children and their wives in the city of Ziklag. And during this time, while they're going, while they're on their assignment, the Amicalites, they come and they ransack the city. They take the mighty men and David, they take the wives and they take the children and they set the city on fire. And they, the mighty men and David, they come back and they see the city on fire. And they're obviously panicked. They're in grief and David and his closest companions, the people that he would call probably his best friends, this happens. This is what it says in, in 1 Samuel 30, uh, verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Can you imagine this grief in this moment? Every man for his sons and his daughters. I love this. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And they'd ended up, they got, they got the wives, they got the children back. No one was harmed. But I love this moment where David was like, when all hope seems lost, 
when my best friends want to kill me and are needing somebody to blame and I am the object of their blame and their accusations, I turn to you, Lord. It's like he once again became that shepherd boy sitting in a field being like, here I am, God. And this is the the position of our hearts we get to take is saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, actually, when I'm struggling to hold on to promise, when I'm struggling to hold on to truth, when I'm struggling to hold on what you've spoken over my life, I need you. To come to him, to come to Jesus, to come to the altar, to to spend time with him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy and their need for him. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is not in, in plans or programs or, you know, Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And it's this invitation for us to once again, and we'll, we'll preach Christ till the day we die, that it's like, no matter what comes my way, Jesus, to gain you is to gain everything. And Jesus, I really need you. And so this morning, I felt it was such a fitting start to the day. Again, I know I reference it, but in pre-service prayer of just, I mean, I started crying and I was like, Lord, we just need you. We have friends in, of ours that are struggling in their marriages. We have friends who are struggling with depression. We have some in this community. And it's like, Lord, we need you. You are the answer. You are the desire of the nations. You are the fulfiller of promises. And so, Lord, we lean on your strength. We don't lean on our strength, knowing that you will see everything to the fulfillment, as you said you would. And so on this day, on this day of the arrival of the triumph of Christ, will we be the first crowd or will we be the second Will we scorn the man who doesn't look like we exactly we want or hope he will? Or will we say, Jesus, in whatever way you want to come, in whatever plans, in whatever direction you want to take my life, I say yes and I celebrate your coming today. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Let me lay down my coat. Let me lay down these palm branches in worship to you. And so I felt this morning that there's kind of three camps, there's three invitations for us here. As we hold on to the promises of God, that there might be some in this room with unfulfilled promises. And we know that the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you might be in this room this morning and you're like, I need the man of hope in this hour. And you might be in this room and you're like, Lord, I need to be open-handed with you. Would you, would I, I'm going to stop trying to fit you into my box and I'm going to let you be yourself in my life. And there might be those of us who need to say, you know what, Lord, I give this, this dream, this desire, this promise to you. I die to it actually. And if it's yours, you'll resurrect it. And there may be some of us in this room that, are just like, we need to take a moment in this place and just practice our gratitude, practice our remembrance. This morning, 
It's like when the weary heart gets weary, it's, I remember what you've done. I remember who you are. And that final camp, which really is all the camps, but is Jesus, I just need you today. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it in my own strength. Please come, reveal yourself to me even more today. So I'd like us to just take a moment and close our eyes and examine our hearts and say, Lord, where am I? Lord, where am I? Lord, have I been rejecting you? Have I been rejecting your ways? Have I been looking simply to your hand and not your face, as I once heard our associate youth pastor say? Jesus, are there areas in my life I just need to take time and remember all you've done for me? And in a moment, I want to make an invitation. I felt the Lord say to me this morning as I was sitting in my car before I came in the building, and I was just asking the Lord about this sermon one more time, and I I felt the Lord say that there are those in this room who are struggling with doubt and trusting in the Lord. And there may be some in this room that are just really aware of their need of him. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I feel like if if you need somebody to come beside you to practice that incredibly powerful biblical example of the laying on of hands this morning, of putting the anointing on one another, I just want to make an invitation that in a moment you come to the front. And for the rest of us, I just feel like the response is to just say thank you to Jesus. The response is to say, Jesus, I welcome you. Humbly as you came on a donkey that day, not as the great rich ruler or conqueror, but as the servant ready to die for me. I thank you. Just tell them in your own words, in your own way. Take a moment and just practice gratitude with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for how you've carried us up to this point. Thank you that our life is not an accident. I felt like I just heard the Lord say that there's somebody in this room who's tried to take their life. 
And the Lord says he has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life. To not despise the day of small beginnings. If your life doesn't look like you want it to or you hope it will in this moment. That your life is worth living. He's got a glorious future for you. So church family, before we close, if you're in this room and you are part of that camp and you have just admit that to yourself, you're like, Lord, I need help. I need you. I need help with doubt. I need help with whatever it is. I want to invite all of us to stand actually. But if that's you, I want to invite you just to unashamedly come to the front. Not because coming to the front is a gimmick, because it is the joy of believers to lay hands on one another and to pray and bless and give the anointing away. And for the rest of us, I want to bless you to have an amazing week. I want to bless us to walk in gratitude this week and walk in celebration of our King. Amen. And we're so excited for next week. Jess is going to be giving a salvation message. So please bring your unsaved friends. And um, we're really excited to see what the Lord does. Love you guys.